I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. Continue to make our way, and we have some guests with us this morning, so uh, we'll just kind of rehearse a little bit about this. Continue to make our way towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And I really found that the more I read my Bible and, and start, continue to connect dots, that man that's on his face, fully God, fully man, you know, crying out to God for, for help to, to walk him through in obedience, that picture of my Savior is really growing, right? And in one way of saying it's deepening, one, one way it's broadening, one way eternally it's connecting uh, I mean, Genesis to Revelation, and, and I don't think I'll ever be able to celebrate another Easter the same way. <laughs> and, and that's a good thing. And uh, part of the joy is, is I, I learn and quiet and, and putter around burning houses and stuff like that, just meditating on different things. Um, I mean, that's, that's what we're called to do, right? And we don't expect us to, to remember everything, and not all of us are scholars, right, John? And not all of us are teachers, but, but I mean, piece by piece, we build the person of Christ in our faith. And, and that's, that's a... That's a joyous thing. That's a lifelong thing. And uh, that's kind of my intentions as we work through, work through these studies. So uh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to read down through the text, and then, and then we'll, we'll watch this develop with our notes this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you um, just for this time you've given us. Lord, many, many, and I'm going to say they're probably all have had busy weeks, a lot of different details, a lot of events. Um, a lot of, lot of just, yeah, life. And Lord, I just pray that this morning as we quiet ourselves, we would recognize that the, the most important thing here is understanding what you are saying. Lord, as we read your words to understand this text, to understand what you're presenting to us, Lord, understanding that this, this is what builds our faith. And I pray that your spirit would move in our hearts to desire the meat of your word. Lord, to, as we, we turn into the Old Testament and we, we ponder the things of Psalm 80 and we ponder the things that, that you yourself was, was trying to get across to the, to the people of Israel, Lord, I pray that they would find themselves, they find itself in our own faith and our own understanding and that they would knit us together for when we are called upon to, to give counsel to disciple, to teach, and, and Lord, in many cases, we think of our grandkids that are growing up, and, and if they're not in church, they need to get this, this teaching, they need to understand you from somewhere, and Lord, it ain't coming from a pastor anymore, it has to come from the people, and I pray that these things would just be very real to us, and I pray these things in your name, amen. So just to grab some context, I think we're going to have to, to back up just a little bit, and we won't go too far back or I'll get carried away. So let's just 19, Luke 19, verse 45. We've got the triumphal entry where the Messiah king, right? Messiah means anointed chosen one. All through the Old Testament scriptures, it was pointing towards the Jewish hope 
that God would send the Messiah King, that God would bring this, uh, this messianic kingdom of God into place. And when Jesus came and he steps into his earthly ministry, three and a half years, all he met was rejection, right? And some believed. Some believed that he is the Christ, the Son of God, but, but, but for the majority of the people rejected him. And as we enter, enter into the triumphal entry, we're about six days from Jesus the King hanging on the cross. Six days. So, I mean, there's a lot going on in these six days. And verse 45 says, Then he, the Messiah, right, the Messiah King, the Christ, went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, and this is where he quotes from Jeremiah chapter 7, okay? It says, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jeremiah 7, we looked at that. That's, that's where Jeremiah is standing in the, in the temple. And I mean, he, he's just preaching judgment. Right, you guys have corrupted the house of the Lord. 47 says, and he was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests and scribes and leaders of the people sought to destroy him. And were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. So as he, Jesus is teaching, what's he teaching from? Old Testament scriptures. I mean, he's showing them through the Old Testament scriptures that I am the Christ. I am the one that you've been looking for. This is the kingdom that I have been offering to you. And the, the, the leadership's like, no, 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 it has to be our way. And yet the people here, they're attentive. The people here are like, well, I, I'm starting to get this. I mean, I mean, speak on, teacher. Like, speak on, and we're, we're getting this. And then in verse 20, and we'll read down to verse 18. It says, Now it happened on one of those days, as he taught the people in the temple, right? The scrolls were opened, right? He was teaching them through Old Testament texts. As he taught the people in temple and preached the gospel. All right, and we, we work through this just rehearsing a little bit. The gospel, I mean, everything points towards the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, right, of our King. But the gospel, the good news, is so much bigger than the cross as well, right? I mean, it's before the foundations of the world to the eternal state. And that's the importance of, of reading and understanding our scriptures. And I mean, Jesus was showing them that. And, and you know, if, if we study together long enough as a church, we'll see that. That's why timelines and that are so important. This is, and he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel. That the chief priests and scribes, together with the elders, confronted him and spoke to him, saying, Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who is he who gave you this authority? Right? Who, who, who gave you the authority to teach? Who gave you the authority to, to expound the scriptures the way you are? But he answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And we think, who was it that said there, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Was John the Baptist? He's pointing towards Christ. Who was it that declared Jesus as, as the one who I'm not worthy to do up his sandals? Right? John knew that this is the Messiah King. Right? It was John. Verse five says, "And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then do you not believe him? 
But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. Well, those people must have been pretty smart. (laughs) I just, okay. Verse 7, so they answered that they did not know where it was from. I mean, that's, that's a, a pretty safeguarded answer. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he began to tell the people. That's important in context. Right, the Pharisees and the leaders, I mean, their hearts are hard. They, they're, they're looking to destroy, deface, remove um, Jesus, and, and Jesus blows right by them. Right? Now he's going to speak a parable to the people. And the parable is a, a divine truth laid beside a narrative or a story. But if you were to study this out in Matthew chapter 13, a parable was also a form of judgment. And that people who didn't want to hear and people who didn't want to, want to receive the truth, Jesus would teach in a parable so that they wouldn't understand it. Right? And that's an important aspect because, you know, stories are nice, but if you're not getting the divine truth out of it, it's just a, it's just a story. And you're, you're missing that, that what God is saying. You're missing, thus saith the Lord. And that's why we have such a problem these days. Many people love stories. Many people love, love nice ideas and things that they can talk about afterwards, and they have no concern with, thus saith the Lord. Right, so he says to the people this parable. He says this, A certain man planted a vineyard okay, and leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country for a long time. It almost sounds like Psalm 80, doesn't it? Right, God brought them out of Egypt, prepared a place for them, planted them right, in the promised land. Right, and then he departs, not very far away, right, but he plants a vineyard leased it to the vine dressers or the leaders, and went into a far country for a long time. Now at vintage time, harvest time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit in the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Servant, God's servants, messengers, right? I mean, it, it, it is very connected here. Again, he sent another servant I mean, how many prophets did they teach this way? And they beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. And we catch that picture, right? The servants, the prophets, the messengers... Um, God kept sending them, and they kept abusing them, rejecting them, right, beating them. Well, I'm going to send my beloved son. Who's the beloved son? Hold on. Jesus. Right? He's going to send his beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers, the leaders, the shepherds, when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. This is the next in line. This is the heir to the the throne. This is the heir to the kingdom. It says, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what 
will the owner of the vineyard do to them? What's the owner of the vineyard going to do to the, the, the shepherds and the leaders that were supposed to be taking care of the vineyard of Israel? What's, what's, what's God going to do to those leaders? Verse 16. He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. It's pretty pointed. Right? Jesus in this parable, God's going to deal with the leaders that have rejected his prophets, rejected his servants, rejected his son. And it's going to be destruction. And when they heard it, they said, certainly not. Once again, you have a people there that, that like the nice story, right? but the idea of, of, of judgment and justice and wrath on disobedience, oh, this, this can't be right, this can't be true. Right? Certainly not. Then he looked at them and said, what then is this that is written? Written where? In the Old Testament Scriptures. He takes them right back to, to the word that they've grown up with, that they've held, perhaps they didn't understand. But he quotes from Psalm 118. Right? At verse 22, he says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And again, I can't help but think Jesus is pointing to himself, the stone, the chief cornerstone. Right? This is what I've been trying to tell you. Right? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Cornerstone of the kingdom, cornerstone of the church age. I mean, I mean, it is all about Christ here. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him into powder. You guys remember Nebuchadnezzar with the statue? Right, with the five different tiers there of, of, of Babylon and Media and Persia and Greece and then Rome and then resurrected or restored Rome. You remember that statue? Right? And the rock is thrown and it crushes it. It shatters the feet of that. This is what Jesus is referring to here. So all of a sudden in Luke Luke 20, you have, it's not just about Jesus. This is about world empires. This is about, this is about kingdom. This is about nations. This is about rulers. And all of a sudden, this text got a lot bigger, didn't it? As Jesus is standing in the temple and he's explaining to the people, whoa, 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 hold on a second. <laughs> There's a lot more to this than uh, simply just rejecting, rejecting me. So that's just a, a brief overview here. So as we step into our notes here, we understand that Jesus in this text, we have Deuteronomy chapter 18, the new prophet referred to as, as the people, the, the authorities are, are challenging his authority. We've got Isaiah 40, as John the Baptist is speaking in verses 3 and 4. I mean, the baptism of John. What was John doing? He was preparing the way for the Lord, for the coming king. All right, so you've got new prophet, you've got Isaiah 40, the Lord's coming, you've got the begotten heir in, in your parable, and then you have cornerstone, and you have Daniel himself being brought into this text, and then it's like, okay, you know, this, this picture went from me understanding it as, as Jesus, to all of a sudden, this, this, this is a massive thing that Jesus is presenting. So Luke chapter 9 closes 
with weeping, that prophetic picture of Jeremiah chapter 7 of, of preaching this judgment that, that the people are comfortable just going to the temple. And we remember in Jeremiah 7 his message there of amend your ways. Judgment is coming. This is six days before the Garden of Gethsemane. The Messiah King is still trying to save these people. He's still pleading. He's still, he's still explaining to them. He's still giving them a chance, even at this point, to believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And I mean, if there's anybody that should have been frustrated at this point, <laughs> it should have been Jesus. Now, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that gets frustrated with family that doesn't listen and doesn't see the importance, right, of giving their lives to Christ, of living in obedience, I'm being silly there. I know, I know we're all, we've all been in that place. Why, why will you just not do this? Why can't you just understand? But we see Jesus time and time again, right up. This is six days before he's nailed to a cross, and he's still opening their scriptures, explaining who he is. That's a pretty powerful thing to consider, right? especially there when we're, we're, we're prepared sometimes to quit. His message was, coming to the close here, is repent. Judgment is coming. And we recognize the kingdom is no longer at hand. They had rejected this. When I quieted myself with these verses there this week, I, I couldn't help but write here, there is more on the table here. World rulers, empires, kingdoms. And I thought to myself, how, how did this bigger picture disappear from the church? You know, how did, how did we, we at some point decide that the, the Old Testament texts and connecting this big just doesn't matter anymore. Let's just stick with the New Testament and let's just stick with the, the principles that make me feel good and miss the God's sovereignty over all of this. I mean, we've, we've taken this picture that Jesus is, is displaying six days before they nail the king on the cross and we've made it something a little bit more manageable. That hurts my heart a little bit. I wrote down, do we believe? Do we know? Do we obey? Do we present the God of the Bible? I'm going to say there that it's, it, it's something there to, to challenge ourselves with this. So coming down just to verse 20, or pardon me, verse 1 of chapter 20, just quieted myself. What, what do you suppose Jesus was teaching? Well, we answered, I heard different people from the Old Testament text as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel. And as I read back through, through the Old Testament um, not the whole Old Testament, but just thinking through the, the vine picture, I found myself in Isaiah chapter 5. So I'm going to invite you to turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 5. I don't know whether Jesus was teaching from this text, <laughs> but I can find three or four crossovers from Isaiah 4 and Isaiah 5 that speak directly into Luke 20. Um, again, Jesus' message was, was judgment. Um, Jesus was teaching the gospel, and, and we'll get to Isaiah 5, but um, let's start reading in Isaiah 4, verse 2. And if you were just to, to, to just kind of glance over, Jesus is talking, um, I'm going to say about the, the judgment, but also uh, prophetically and, and far towards the second coming of Christ. But in verse 2, Isaiah is catching this glimpse, and Isaiah is preaching during a time where it's pretty bleak as well. Assyria is coming, 
722 B.C. is uh, is almost upon them. And verse 2 is is much, let's say, gospel. And just let me read it with you. This this, this is the gospel. This is the kingdom. This is the bigger picture that Jesus um, was presenting and perhaps in this narrative as well. It says, In that day, the branch of the Lord. Right? And you'll notice if you have a New King James uh, or King James, that branch is capitalized, right? And it's directing us to the king, connect, connecting us with the Messiah. It's a, a messianic reference. The branch, the rod of Jesse, the son of David, the Davidic covenants, all right? It says, the branch of the Lord, the coming king, shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. Prophetically, we're looking at the second coming, the end of the tribulation. Jesus had warned them, the prophets had warned them, when, when you start seeing these signs, what are they supposed to do in Jerusalem? They're supposed to run, flee, right? They're supposed to, to get out of Dodge, right? But the king is coming. Verse 3 says, And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion, God's holy mountain, and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, set apart. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. So all of a sudden we step into this gospel, this good tidings, the messianic kingdom promises. And if you've ever wondered what it's going to be like in the messianic kingdom, there are texts all through the Old Testament scriptures, the gospel, right, that teach us what this millennial kingdom is going to be like. Verse 4 says, When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, that sounds a lot like the the, the message of John the Baptist, that he who comes will come with a a spirit and fire. Once that's purged, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion... I want us to be in that messianic kingdom, right? Jerusalem, dwelling place of Mount Zion, and above her assemblies, a cloud of smoke, cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night. All right, you're getting descriptions here of what the messianic kingdom is going to look like. When Jesus is on his earthly throne in that Jerusalem, once it's rebuilt with that messianic temple. You're getting descriptions of what that's going to be like with Jesus seated on his earthly throne. For over all the glory, there will be a covering. There will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat, for a place of refuge, for a shelter from the storm and rain. Remember the first time I read that? There's going to be storms in the kingdom of God? Right? I mean, there's going to be. It says there is. As we're processing that, I, 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 again, I, I'm reading that because as Jesus taught them from the Old Testament Scriptures and explained to them the Gospel, it wasn't just or merely or only the cross. He was explaining to them that Jewish hope that they have. Messiah King, Messianic Kingdom. And that opens, I mean, at this point, they'd rejected that. Let's keep reading. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. 
I wondered myself there in this conversation, did Jesus just randomly pick a parable about a vineyard? Right? Or was he reading through this text, teaching the gospel, teaching the good tidings, explaining to them what it's going to be like when he is seated on his throne after the judgment is done? Or was he reading through this text? My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. Right? Who's, who's the well-beloved? Well, it would be God the Father. And on a fruitful hill, he dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with a choicest vine. Now, before we go any farther, I'd like you to come down to verse 7, and that'll explain to us a little bit about what's going on here in this text. Verse 7 explains to us, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. Okay? So we come back up to verse 2. He dug it up and cleared out its stone and planted it with the choicest vine. Who's the vine? Who's the pleasant plant? Judah is. And he built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes. Easy enough. God went to all the work to lead him out of Egypt, right, all the work of, of, of making the covenant with them, and he expected them to bring forth good grapes. Obedience. Be a powerful nation. Be a testimony to the world of, of God Jehovah. But it brought forth wild grapes. And my understanding is wild grapes in the midst of of, of your, your vintage in the midst of you trying to harvest is almost like a bad potato <laughs> in the midst of a truck. It just ruins things, right? It's, it's a waste. It's, it's worthless. It says, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. All right? He's speaking to the people. What more could have been done to my vineyard I have not done in it. Right? Just the behavior and the repetition and the abandonment of, of the people. I mean, just, just, just disregard. We will do it at one moment to God and the next minute they're turning their back as soon as they leave. Could God have done anything more to provide and display and lead? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. Who's the vineyard? Verse 7 says the house of Israel. Right now, without getting into too many details, it's a fascinating study. Assyria is coming, 722 is upon them. Right? But I notice there's four I wills in this text. And as Jesus is giving the parable in, in Luke 20, I mean, don't think for a second that these connections aren't being made. Judgment. Right, God is going to pour out wrath. Right, eighty seventy is upon them. Right, it's coming. It says, "Now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard." Who's the I? God. Right. I will take away its hedge, its protection, and it shall be burned. Well, what about all the innocent lives? There's a serious note there to rejecting God as a nation, isn't there? 
I saw a meme, um, meme or a word picture or something there this past week that said something along the lines of, of what, if, what if God allowed all 44 million of the Ukrainians that are part of this war to die? Right? What if Russia just came in and wiped out 44 million? And the, the meme was it still wouldn't come close to the 2 billion abortions that have taken place in North America. Right? I mean, just trying to put it in perspective. Right? Like life. Right? And we ask that, that, that innocent, and not, not to exploit that, but I mean, I mean, these people who are rejecting, Jesus is speaking to people who are rejecting, they're getting the point right, as it's coming through. It says, I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. Verse 6, how does it start out? I will lay it waste. Not that he wants to, but they've rejected it shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help or wailing. That crossover. Now, I don't know whether Jesus was reading from this text, but, but for me, as I was reading, I kind of got excited because, I mean, you've got the gospel, you've got the kingdom, you've got all the promises. And then Jesus teaches from this parable that would have been well known to the people of Israel in there. So let's turn back to Luke chapter 20, and we'll, we'll try and just, uh, I'm going to say, wrap this up or, or, or weave this together. We've looked at the Old Testament text, Jesus teaching the, the people, possibly the scroll of Isaiah. He's preaching the gospel. God offers to them. You have to believe. Um, it's always by faith, whether it's, it's position, it's, it's, it's faith for um, relationship, obedience for fellowship. I mean, it's, it's always been that way all through the scriptures. Um, in Luke 20, you have the Messiah King presenting to the people, presenting their choice, presenting the repentance. He's calling the people from religious form. He's calling the people from their own ideas into spiritual fellowship and preparing them for a kingdom under his rule. But we know that Satan is at work. Right? Even today, you know, Satan is at work. We like form. We like religious ideas. We like doing things. Satan binds with religion because it falsely allows us to choose our own adventure. Right? As long as there's some form of I'm in control here, uh, I'm comfortable. The Messiah King, the Christ of God, does not waste his time. If we were to come down just to the, the verse 17 and 18, and uh, I should be able to... Uh, this is the seriousness of the message. Again, there's four different titles for Christ in here. New, new prophet, Deuteronomy 18. Um, John's message from Isaiah 40 as he prepares the way for the Lord. You've got the begotten heir, and then you've got the cornerstone. And that cornerstone is a glorious thing when you understand just the power and authority that's given to Christ. But if you don't, and that doesn't mean anything to you, that's going to be a day of reckoning for you. 
So in verse 17, it says, Then he looked at them, the people, and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. I'd encourage you to read Psalm 118 this afternoon. Find a lawn chair. <laughs> Sit out in the sun. Just read Psalm 118. But verse 18, whoever falls on that stone will be broken. And that's all that aren't concerned with who Christ is. That's all who aren't concerned with who the Messiah King is. That's all who aren't concerned with, with falling in line with, with God's commands. And God's commands are not suggestions. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him into powder. This is so much bigger than just me, isn't it? It's so much bigger than just Coldstream Baptist Church, so much bigger than Carleton County. This is so much bigger than Canada even. And Jesus isn't playing around here, and I don't think I would do this text justice if we didn't turn to Daniel chapter 2. So I invite you to turn there, Daniel chapter 2. Beginning in verse 31. And my intent, heavy on my heart, and there's many intents that go on, but, but as I see, I'm going to say, my Jesus, right on his face praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, it's not just Jesus. It's not merely Jesus. There's, there's such a, a bigger, broader picture of the king here taking place. We go back to, well, Daniel's taken in 605 B.C., um, the first wave of the exile, and I don't say that to be prideful. I'm just finishing up a, a major prophet's course, and I have an exam coming up in two weeks, so those dates are all there. But Daniel, Daniel's taken into captivity, right? And Daniel is, is working underneath king of Babylon, and I mean, Jeremiah the whole time was preaching God's message of, of, of surrender, just go, thrive in Babylon, and nobody was listening, but Daniel was. Verse 31 says, You, O king, speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. It's a pretty awesome statue. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Right, this statue is a, a picture, it's a prophetic picture of the world empires, a prophetic future. I mean, this is a serious thing here. Verse 34, you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together. By what? The stone, this coming kingdom. Right? This, this, and again, you're, you're probably just pride. Okay, well, there's a lot to think about here. It's crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, like dust. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became the great mountain and filled the whole earth. Verse 18 of Luke 20, right? Jesus wasn't playing around here. He just took their, their little picture and their immediate, and he just went, <laughs> big picture, right? Big picture. 
Let's keep reading. Verse 36, Daniel chapter 2. It says, This is the dream, speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And we're not preaching that, but God, God it's almost like he, he, he assigns or gives permission to leaders, doesn't he? World leaders. Right? God is sovereign over, over everything there, but we have, have a direction. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom, okay, and this is the picture getting bigger, inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over the earth. So that inferior kingdom is the Medes and Persians. And then is going to come Alexander the Great, the Greece. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. This is your Rome. Inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. This picture is world empires. I mean, it's future history. I mean, it's covering the next 1,500 years. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, often as leadership is. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with the ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. Right? Kingdoms, many leaders, things like that there. I mean, it gets like that. And you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay. They will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another just as iron does not mix with clay. I've got verse 44 highlighted in my Bible. Verse 44. And this is what Jesus is getting at. I mean, I am going to say that the Jews, oh no, I can say that safely. They read their Old Testament a lot more than we did. Right? I mean, that's all they had. They didn't have the New Testament. We spend so much time in the New Testament that when we do read the New Testament, why worry about the Old Testament? Right? But when Jesus makes that, that one statement in verse 18, they understood the stone. They understood what he was getting at. They understood that, that we're not just talking about a little picture here. We're talking about a world empires and, and rulers and kings. And verse 44 says, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, hmm. which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to the other people, pardon me, left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand. How long? Forever. Hopefully that's baited you into reading the rest of that chapter but just bringing a close to Luke chapter 20. (laughs) 
and I'm not trying to offend, but I mean, by naming, if, if Jesus is still pictures on a felt board for us, it's no wonder as the world is falling apart around us that God's people don't know what to do. Jesus is standing in his temple and he's going, whoa, 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 hold on, what authority? I'll show you what authority. You know, I'm that stone in Daniel's dream that's recorded there. I mean, I'm the one that's going to crush all these kingdoms. Read Psalm 118 and see what the psalmist says about it. I mean, just, just, just trying to broaden that picture. And, and why is that important for us? We've got a lot of believers in our lives. You know, last two years with COVID, randomly just, I'll say, losing their minds. They have, they have no idea how to respond to these things. You know, Russia attacking Ukraine. I mean, you've got every Walvert and Dr. David Jeremiah, and you've got all these things rolling around. Well, hold on a second. Right? We know who God is. We know who, who, who the picture of Christ is. We know the end of the story. But we have to be studying. We have to be grappling. We have to be going deeper in our texts. And so my close will simply be this. With all the texts, and, and I don't imagine to get it first pass, but I, you have the notes there, you can read through it. When Jesus is presenting himself, it's not just a, oh, I understand this. Oh, Right? Jesus is presenting this, this God's program, right? And I mean, it's, it's, it's right from Genesis to the eternal state creator Christ to, to, to sitting there on the throne um, with the Lamb. And I said, in our churches, Christian homes and personal time with God, when did God's program become all about me? Right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with running and, 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 and making supplication and worshiping and, and coming before God. I mean, I mean he, he promised, he offers his everything to us, but it's still not, not all about me, is it? No, it's about him. And it's about coming to his program. And, and there's no possible way to find our proper place in that. If that's closed... And I'm happy, and I'm content with just, just understanding a verse, and, and that's, that's what's going to lead me through. Right, so just, just that. It, it's, it's when did God's program become about me? When did all of this get so small? Again, we started, at, I, know, I know not everybody's scholars, not everybody's teachers, and not everybody has time to study these things out. But it's something that we build on, one piece at a time, one piece at a time. And when Jesus just presents himself in those four things, what authority? I am the Deuteronomy 18 prophet. I mean, John the Baptist, who is he declaring? Isaiah 40, prepare the way of the Lord, the king. Right? We have, we have the, the other two points there. I mean, it says we, we can understand those things. And when we do that, we, we deepen understanding the person of Christ. And our future begins to start taking shape. Who is that man on his face in the garden? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he's the one that crushes Idiot, and I don't want to reiterate that, but that's, that's just placing that before us. And when we have problems, when we're wrestling, when we're trying to, to lead other people that are broken, right, and, and just doing circles in life, the more of those pieces we can put together, the easier it is we can present to other people. And that would be my, my plea. Um, that would be my plea. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just think of just all the different texts we looked at this morning. And I, 
I can't even begin to imagine how Jesus taught this, exhorted, Lord, speaking to a people who had held these scriptures all their lives and, and just, just telling them that this is me. And Lord, we understand that some did believe. Some went on to discover just the, the intimacy. I think of that 40 days after the death, burial, and resurrection of, of our king. But I'm going to say the majority of, of them didn't. Majority of them read the scriptures, looked at what Jesus was saying in Luke 20, and just said, You know what? I'm not interested. And we know what happens in AD 70. Lord, my prayer this morning would be just, just as we said there, that, that these things would start finding themselves. We'd find ourselves hungry, and we'd find ourselves, our, our faith, solidifying because we have a lot of broken people around us. We have a lot of people there that, that know next to nothing about the Word of God. And many of them are saying this doesn't work. Church doesn't work. You know, faith in Jesus doesn't work. And Lord, I know those statements are made out of ignorance. Biblical ignorance. Because they don't know you. I pray that they just rise up. Uh, men and women, children. Lord, just with an eagerness to learn from you. And that this church would just find itself as a, a biblical presence. Not just doing good things. But Lord, our conversations would be, be seasoned with grace and, and steeped in you. And I pray that we would learn these things together. We commit the rest of this day again. We thank you for Mother's Day. We thank you for a beautiful day. But Lord, I pray that there would be opportunities with that. At the dinner table, phone calls, or just even, even this week. Lord, I pray that we're very intentional with sharing you. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.